from the book of John. The book of John, chapter 6. Y'all just gonna have to excuse me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Through it all, God has been good to me. I don't know about you, but God has been good to me. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all the things that he's done for me, all the ways that he's made for me, all the traps that he's killed for me, every weapon that he's destroyed, that raised against me, every sickness that he's healed, every way that he made, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. John chapter 6. Starting at verse 25, John chapter 6, verse 25. They they already had it. We got we got to get into the word. We got to get into the word. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. We got to get into the word. I need the oil. John chapter 6, thank you Holy Ghost. John chapter 6, verse 60. John chapter 6, verse 60, going through 69. Thus says the word of the Lord. You can, you can stay at that altar and worship. You don't have to stop worshiping because I start reading. We don't have a shape or form or show. Wherever you are with God, you stay right there. Don't you get off of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. It says this. You can read it with me if you want. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? When then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh prophets who do not believe. But there are some, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew 
from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him and he said therefore I have said to you no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father <coughs> and from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more then Jesus said to the twelve do you also want to go away too? But Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> I want you to help me preach this morning. Y'all been shouting. We're going to shout all sermon long. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. He's all I need. <laughs> you may be seated in the presence of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Our text finds us. It finds us with Jesus <clears throat> performing miracles. If you look at the book of John chapter 5, Jesus has just performed a gargantuan miracle and Jesus has taken loaves and bread and he has fed thousands of people. He's done this at least twice we, we see in the gospel. But because he has done this, the people that were following Jesus, they decide that if he can give them what they want, they will follow him. After all, a God, a man who can take two fish and five loaves of bread and be able to feed 5,000 people, people love that type of person because we vote according to our needs. We decide to pick leaders according to how they fit our needs. And the Bible says that Jesus sensed that they would make him king. And because it was not the kingship that he desired, because his kingdom was not of the earth, his kingdom could not be held within the borders of a country or, or the terra firma that we call the earth. His kingdom could not be contained. And we see that the Bible says that Jesus steals away from the crowd. But just like anybody else, we go where our bread is buttered and it says that they begin to look for Jesus and the disciples did not find Jesus. And so they took off across the water in a boat. <laughs> and as they go, went across the boat, it shouldn't have taken them that long, but they had been traversing for four long hours. And the Bible says, just to show you that this is no ordinary man, the Bible says that they looked out across the sea and although they had been traveling for four hours, beating against the storm, not making any headway, not going anywhere. The Bible said that they saw Jesus. Now, I don't have a problem with them seeing Jesus. Your eyes can see a candle from about two miles off, so maybe you could see a human from about four miles off. That wasn't the problem because Jesus wasn't on the shore. The Bible said that Jesus was walking on the water <laughs> and Jesus was walking to them in the middle of the storm and they had spent all of their time trying to to get ahead in the storm and they could not get there but the Bible says that when Jesus came they welcomed him into the boat and I like how the writer says it and he said and straightway they saw the land I want to talk to somebody this morning who's been trying to live life your own way, trying to do it your own way, and you've been rowing back and forth, and you can't seem to get out of the doldrums of life. You've been trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. You have been in a financial or a physical conundrum. The, most, the more money you make, it seems like the more things cost, and you can't seem to be struggling, and the more hours you work, the more tired you become, and the more sicknesses you beat, the older you get, it seems like the more tend to show their head and you feel like you're stuck in a holding pattern. I've come to you to let you know that there is a remedy and his name is Jesus Christ. And although that you are struggling and it had taken them four hours to row on water, Jesus had walked up to them on water and gotten into the boat. I would encourage you today to put Jesus in your boat. <laughs> Because as they put Jesus in the boat, the Bible says straightway they reached their destination. 
Many of us, as we talk in our authentic church series, that we're confused and confounded because we can't figure out why we're not getting where we would like to get in life. And we're talking in part two of this sub-series inside of the series called Authentic Commitment. Everybody say commitment. See, Jesus has gotten into the boat, and when they looked and saw that they could not find Jesus, Jesus was giving them what they wanted. They, they wanted bread, and they wanted loaves. So what they did was they went until they could find Jesus. They went around to tell Jesus that I will follow you. I'm going to follow you just like most of the people in church follow Jesus every day. I like the idea of you. You're giving me what I need. You have a good children's ministry. You have a good praise team. You have a good choir. You have good musicians. You're giving me what I need, Jesus. So therefore, I will follow you. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 25 through 27, it says, And when they had found him on the other side. The other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? In other words, we were worried about you, Jesus. We we, we were looking for you because we love you, Jesus. We like what you said on the other side. But Jesus looks through all those things and he's not placated and he's not impressed by a crowd of people wanting to be around him. Jesus is a man's man. And we talked about that in our men's class. Sometimes you just got to be blunt and to the point. Jesus looks at all these people who come to follow him. And it says in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're only looking for me for what you can get out of me. You're only willing to come to me for what you can get from me. I have seen it uh, as I have matriculated through life through time after time. I have seen many people. If the people that I have seen come to Christ were in this building, there wouldn't be enough places in this place to fill it five or six times. But here is what I've seen, Victor. I've seen people that didn't have a way to church and they were bumming away to church. We used to catch a ride to church. But God went and they thought it was God. Blessed them with a car, Pastor Ernie. And when they got that car, somehow they forgot how to get to the church. (laughs) I've seen young ladies pray at the altar. Lord, I want a good man. I want a good husband to lead a family. And I've seen a dude come in and all of a sudden you see them start sitting close together. And before you know it, you can see them out together. But when you look for them on Sunday, you don't see any. (laughs) They said they loved the Lord until they got what they wanted. (laughs) They were following Jesus for the bread and the loaves, for what would satisfy their flesh. They weren't committed as they thought they were. They were not committed to Jesus. They were committed to what they were getting out of him. And Jesus tells them, he says this, do not labor for the food which perishes. Don't seek me just for a man. Don't seek me for a woman or a job or a house or a car, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. What Jesus is saying is you're selling yourself short. You're getting in a Ferrari that can go 200 miles an hour and you put a governor on of 30 miles <laughs> because what you can get from Jesus goes well beyond houses that will one day burn up and bank accounts that will one day be empty. There will be inside of Jesus eternal life. And for all of those who come unto him, Jesus has a house that will never perish. He said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many mansions. You can killing yourself, trying to buy a house and pay a mortgage and you're ignoring God to do it. I've come to tell you that if you'll seek God for he'll build the house for you. How do you know, pastor? Because he said in Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You're committed to the job instead of to the giver of the provision. Jesus is simply saying, you are seeking my hand and not my face. 
I submit to you this morning that church is filled with a plethora of people who are seeking the hand of God, but are not seeking the face of God. They are seeking what God can do for them, but not what they can do for the kingdom. And so Jesus is irritated with these people. Jesus gets irritated sometimes, you know, Sister Wall. And Jesus decides, if you read John chapter 6, that he's going to get rid of these people. He, he doesn't try to keep the members. You know, most pastors nowadays, you got members that, that may cause you trouble, but you keep them because you want the numbers. Jesus decides to get rid of some of his members. And what he does, he starts to talk in spiritual speak. He starts to talk in ways of the spirit because he knows that they can't understand. And he begins to talk in parable and what he would do. And he says this, he says in John 6 and 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, pointing to himself, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. <laughs> and, they, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, when you're listening with a carnal mind, if you just read those phrases, it sounds like Jesus is asking them to eat him. <laughs> he, it sounds kind of cannibalistic, what he is saying. He, and, and so the Jews say in verse 52, the Jews, Jews quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. See, they can't see the spiritual because all they coming to him for is the natural. If we promised blessing every week and promised that, that every time you did something you were going to get and your miracle was on the way, you couldn't contain the, the amount of services that we would have to have. But when we preach a true unadulterated gospel, you got a little room. <laughs> because truth be told, most of us want to come to God not for what we can do for the kingdom, but for what he can do for us. He tells them, most assuredly, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life in him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He's really trying to get rid of these people. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he feeds me on he feeds on me he who feeds on me will live because of me this is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate manna and are dead he who eats the bread will live forever ah. when I was young there was a song and the lyrics used to say this I was alone and idle and I was a sinner Two. Till I heard a voice from heaven saying there is work to do. How did I respond? I took my master's hand and I joined the Christian band and I am on the battlefield for my Lord. See, in the military nowadays, they have what you call boot camp. And when people sign up to be Navy SEALs, I believe it is, in the middle of the camp, they have a bell. <laughs> and they put that bell in the middle of the camp and they put you through grueling pressure. They make you do things that the average human could never do. And all you have to do to make it stop is go when you get done and you get to the end of your rope and say, that's too much for me, and ring the bell. And one by one, they have people ringing the bell. They have people standing over you saying that all this could get better. All you got to do is just ring the bell. You can stop all this pain and all this suffering. You can go back to your normal life if you just ring 
Bell. You could stop all this puking and carrying on and hurting and, and gasping for breath and thinking you're going to die. All you got to do is just ring the bell. All you have to do is give up. But here's the thing. If you give up, there's one thing that's guaranteed that what's on the other side of the bell you'll never have. You'll never be able to say that I achieved what was on the other side of the bell. And Jesus says those that put their hand to the plow and turn back are not worthy of the king. <laughs> and there is an enemy. His name is called the accuser. And somebody right now is going through sickness and he's saying, see, you spent all your time going to that church and you sick and there's nobody calling you to see about you. You wasting your time at that church. All you got to do is ring the. <laughs> you putting your money in that church and you to you yourself ain't got no money and you don't have any finances. All the pastor look good. All you got to do is ring. <laughs> You've been praying and your marriage is falling apart. It doesn't seem like anything is working for you. It seems the farther you try to get ahead, the farther you get back and you out there praying to a good God when your life is jacked up, you wasting your time. All you got to do is just ring the bell. <laughs> the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And if they turn back, truly they will never achieve what it means to follow if you look at it and you read it, it's really kind of comical, John chapter 6, because they will say something to Jesus and they begin to say this. They said that, who is this? This is Joseph's boy. And, and, and we learned through this series that the Lord desires the authentic church and the sinner needs the authentic church. And what Jesus is trying to do is whittle down to the authentic church. He's trying to get rid of all the fluff. He's trying to, to get rid of all the people that really don't mean him no good. I'm reminded of a story of a man that walked into a church with a weapon one day. And he walked into the church with a weapon and he fired it in the air. And, and people were startled. And he said, I want to know how many of you in here love Jesus. And everybody in the church raised their hand. And he cocked his weapon and said, well, if you love him, I want to see who was willing to die for him. And if you ain't willing to die for him, you got a few seconds to get out of the building. And before he could even get the pump cocked good, Brother Dave, there were only six people left in the building. And, and, and when he walked over to the other six people, he looked at them and he pointed his gun at them and he said you mean to tell me that you really love Jesus they said yeah he said so you really mean to tell me that you willing to die for Jesus they said if I die here I'll wake up in heaven go ahead and do what you got to do <laughs> the man took his gun he picked it up set it down sat on the front pew and said not that all those fake folk gone let's have some church <laughs> <laughs> There are many people who profess to follow Jesus. But how many of you really are willing to follow him to the end? To do whatever it takes. They had said some things that were, Jesus had said some things that are hard to hear. You're following your pastor and your pastor says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're wasting your time. That's a hard thing to hear. But what God is calling them to is a higher level of commitment, and it's a big commitment to follow Jesus. And there are three areas I want to teach you today that our commitment levels are challenged and both revealed when we follow Christ. It challenges our commitment, and it reveals to us who he is. Number one is time. Everybody said time. <laughs> Whatever you are committed to, you will invest your time in. If you're committed to your local church, people notice you when you're gone because you're always there. If you're committed in your marriage, your spouse misses you when you're gone because you're present. I had to travel for work, and Brother, Brother Bob, I like to travel. You know why? Because Robin's not really a touchy-feely person, but when I've been gone a minute, she missed me. <laughs> and, and, and she want me around. <laughs> Because when you're always around, sometimes you take something for granted. When you miss it, you, you want more of it. So I'm sad to get on the plane, Brother Ernie, but I'm kind of happy because I know when I get back, <laughs> she's going to miss me. When you're committed to something, 
You invest your time in it. If we were to say I was committed to Jesus, can we ask a question? How much time have I committed to spiritual growth? In a week's time, if I were to, to plot out how much time I spent on social media versus how much time I spent developing spiritually, would they be equal? In a week's time, don't get quiet on me now. <laughs> if I were to look at the amount of time that I spent looking at Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or, or, or your lie carrier of choice, <laughs> and then I turn back around and looked at how much time I spent in my word, would they be equal? How would they pan out? Number one, you do your time, but number two, everybody said talent. Talent. God has given you an ability to serve the kingdom and to serve your church. And he puts people inside of the church that he can use and utilize and use their gifts. If you're not feeling used, you're not being used the way you need to be used. And number three is treasure. Everybody say treasure. <laughs> Offering of our resources. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is. Yes. I love the church. You're a giver. No, I'm praying about that. We all have necessary commitments in life. You were waiting for me to dig. I'm not going to dig. <laughs> and many of them are good commitments. But the question is, when I write out the balance sheet of my life, does it look lopsided? You got to eat. You got to take care of your necessities and things like that. But when I look at the balance sheet of my life, does my commitment to Christ seem lopsided? Versus my commitment to everything else. You got to go to work or you'll starve. Man don't work, he don't eat. But if it's nine foot of snow out and the boss said, come, I go. If it's two inches, I'm calling the pastor asking if we have a service tonight. If you can't say amen. <laughs> Where is your level of commitment? That's why Jesus is trying to push them away because he knows they will be wasting their time because if they don't give everything, they're not going to be fruitful with him. And he's saying, yeah, I might as well send you away now because if I don't send you away now, eventually you're going to leave anyway and you're just taking up time and resources. And the truth is we can be excellent in some areas and still need improvement in others. We can be great giving our time to the church or to, to the kingdom, but we might need a little help with giving our finances. We haven't got to tithe or give grace giving or give over our tithe, whatever the case may be. Or we, we may be good at our time of coming to church, but we really haven't found a niche. We just like to come to church and sit. And so we're not really using our talent for the church or for the kingdom outside of the church. And that's something that we have to learn. Pull up the first power principle if you put it up there. They did. Let's read it together. What does it say? Some have commitment issues because they have committed only to the parts of Jesus they like. They only follow to get what they ask of him and are reluctant, if not defiant, to give him what he asks of them. Therefore, their progress is limited because their commitment is conditional. How would you feel, Victor, if you promote pros to a nice young lady? <laughs> and she says, I say yes, but I got this list of demands first. <laughs> and if you meet those demands, then I'll marry you. But the minute you mess up on one, I'm done. But don't we do God like that sometimes? <laughs> I serve you as long as you give me the sermons that I like. <laughs> I come to church and wave my hands. I heard people say this, but if he start preaching about money, I'm gone. Then leave, because <laughs> we preach all of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And if one thing makes you leave, you're not committed anyway. You're only in it for what you can get out of it. I am going to today, brother Bob. I th I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit gave us that good refreshing of worship early. I've been praying about this word for a while now. 
Jesus is not a commitment for those people. He is convenient for them. And they've entered into a relationship built on false pretenses. And that's why many people leave the church because we are so enamored. We want bodies and seats so much. We're willing to take people any kind of way we can get them and ask nothing of them at all. But to be a member of the church requires faithfulness. To be a member of the church requires accountability. We talked about these things this morning, man. I told you in my sermon, it requires commitment. You don't get to be a member of the church and then say, my money's mine. Jesus told the Israelites, I got a problem with you. What, what was their problem? You, Stacey, you know what their problem was? He said, I brought you back out of the land of Egypt, out, out of captivity, rather. You came here. You praised me at this broken down temple. Then you went to the best seat of wood, built your own houses. And my temple still not finished. You living good. But my house is in shambles. Sometimes if you talk long enough, you'll reach people's breaking point. What is it that they can't get? And when the pressure's turned up, those people miss spiritual revelation because it does not agree with their flesh. Jesus was saying something that they could only understand if they were listening with their spiritual ears. And what he said didn't agree with their flesh and it made them uncomfortable. They are looking through the eyes of their desire. And what the reason they're doing that is because they don't know who Jesus really is. Look at your neighbor and say, who is Jesus to you? Because they say in 6, verse 41 through 42, I'm not making it up. This is what they say. Chapter 6, verses 41 through 42, they say, and they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? See, how you see Jesus also determines your level of commitment because the people in the text would make Jesus a king to fill their bellies because they saw him as such. But they missed the bigger blessing because they did not want to see him as divine. Fill my belly, but don't fill my soul. Give me blessings, but require nothing of me. That's the quickest way to fill a church. To promise everything to everyone and require absolutely nothing of them. Who doesn't sign up for that? I'm a taker. You mean I can just come and, and I can listen to the music, have a good time, get a good word, go out and not be involved in anything. I'm here after the door open and I leave before it closes. I don't give. I don't participate. I don't do anything. When I go outside, I don't even try to evangelize the lost. I've just described modern-day Western evangelicalism. That's the church today. Not going to rag on the church. Here's the problem. Many of us see him as Savior, but do we see him as Lord? What is the difference? If I'm drowning, you can hand me, hand me your hand, and you can save me, and I'll take your hand. But if you tell me it's not a good idea to walk on ice, I got a choice of whether I do it again. You can be my savior and not be my Lord. In other words, you can get me out of a mess and I still not allow you to help me and tell me what to do. There are some people that that's why Paul says work out thy own salvation or examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Because many people who think they're following Jesus are not following Jesus at all. They're following him for the bread and the loaves. Who is Jesus? If y'all shout, they won't know it's you. Keep shouting. <laughs> See, your freedom is in the pursuit of who Jesus really is. There are some serving a version of Jesus, but not the actual version of Jesus. And when that Jesus fails to produce the result, they want, their commitment starts to wane. And you can tell those people, I tried God. I gave him three weeks and nothing happened in my life. I ain't going next week. I tried God and nothing ever changed and nothing ever happened. Nothing ever changed because you never changed. Woo, Jesus. <laughs> you thought that you could just come to God and keep doing what you were doing and get a different result. To do the same thing over and over and expect a different result is insanity. That's what the definition of insanity is. The truth is there's nothing wrong with Jesus. You insane, baby. You come to Jesus all you want. Keep going to KFC and, and, and asking God to take away pounds. It's not going to happen. No. 
You can come to Jesus all you want, but keep hanging around the same friends that don't love God and, and, and say, I can't feel God. It's not going to happen. There is a responsibility of commitment that you have. God will save your soul by grace through faith, and it requires nothing of you but belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's a gift of God, not lest any man that should boast, but I'm afraid that many people are going to heaven but living hell on earth because they won't let Jesus be their Lord. They only want fire insurance. And they're missing out on blessings in their version. They're okay with Mary's son being an earthly king, but not having divine authority. This is why many people church hop. Oh, well, Jesus. <laughs> They'll only stay as long as they're being used. You ever had somebody like that? Well, Pastor, I've been praying about it, and I, I feel like my season is up. It's amazing that we just now in this place where people feel like their season is up. My season is up. I don't feel like I'm being used. <laughs> Victor, I got a bunch of tools out there, <laughs> and I got sockets, and I got ratchets, and some of them fit seven sixteenths, and some of them fit 10 millimeters, and I got two or three different kinds. I've never had one of my wrenches tell me I'm, I'm leaving because I'm not being used because I'm the owner, <laughs> and I get to use whichever one I want to. <laughs> And maybe if God's not using you, it's because he's developing you and you won't stay still long enough for him to develop you. And every time you get to a hard truth, you up and leave and hop to the next ministry. You didn't hear God. You hurt your flesh. You were looking for a position and a title. <laughs> Instead of an opportunity to serve, sometimes God will have you be in a place and say, don't say nothing, don't do nothing. You're going to sit here and you're going to learn. Why? Because there are things I need you to learn. And then he may move you on. But the reason, why am I stuck in this holding pattern? Because you haven't learned. If you don't learn what you need to learn in the first grade, you're not going to the second. Well, nowadays you don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but when I grew up, you didn't. Isn't it amazing that we expect to progress in the body of Christ, but our commitment, our faith level, our, our, our Bible study has diminished our prayer life, our church attendance, our giving. All those things are going down, but we expect Jesus to push us up. And I say us, so I'm not fussing at you. And that might not even be us in the building. I'm talking about the church at large, but that's why people church hop. They only stay as long as they're being used. They will come to church as long as their mental and psychological needs are being met. But as soon as spiritual authority is exercised and they don't get to do it the way they want, they walk away. How do you know that? Let's go to the book. What does it say? It says that they said that this is a hard teaching. Who could understand it? And when Jesus says it, one more time, he says in verse 65, pull verse 65 up on the screen. He said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to them by my father. I'm going to go up uh, a little bit further. Well, I'm going to stay right there. I just want one verse. Look at verse 66. What does it say? From that time. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. How many people were over there when he fed them with the five fish and five thousand people? That's not including the women and children. Estimates say that could have been as much as fifteen thousand people that were following Jesus. Jesus had a mega church. And when he finished, he had 12 people. Wow. <laughs> because he required something of them. He required spiritual connection and he required commitment. And, and what you would think is that Jesus would, would turn over to them and say, okay, we got to figure this out. We got to start putting together plans and all these things to get more people in the door. Yeah, we got, we got a team. We can start what we got. But he looks at the last 12 he had. Brother Bob, you know what he's saying? Y'all want to go too? Wow. Because we have, in the westernized culture, been told that the church needs us. But we need the church. That's why people had to beg you to do stuff because you think somebody needs you. But if you knew that you only have it because the God of the universe reigns on the just as well as the unjust, you'd be more liberal with your time, your talent, 
and your treasure. Because you realize it's not yours at all. <laughs> it's his. Wow. I'm almost through. Number one, we have to know who Jesus is to us. And we also so have to do this. The Lord gave me this word. It was a word for me, so I don't know if I ever gave it to y'all. I may mention it to y'all. Sometimes he gives words, and it's not always for the church. It's just for my personal growth, with my personal devotional time. And one day I was on my knees, and I was praying, and the Lord told me, seek the source and not the supply. Now, he could have said it like Matthew 6 and 33 said it, but he said it in a way in which I will remember that. Why? Because he is the source. Well, don't worry about filling up the church. Just seek me. When I'm ready to do it, I'll do it. Be faithful over what I've given you. When I'm ready to do it, I'll do it. How many of you know that while we're wanting many things, if we just be faithful with what we have and be faithful to God with what we have, he would automatically bless us with more. There are many in the flock who are flocking around just to see miracles. I call them miracle hoppers. Uh, you know what it is? They hop from ministry to ministry, revival to revival, just to see a bunch of miracles and works and say they saw this. That's the flesh. Oh, I was in this revival and I was in that one. I seen people here delivered and grow set free. That's great. But stop running around seeking that stuff. Why? Because the disciples came back and they told Jesus, hey, we came and well, guess what happened? Even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus said, be quiet. Don't rejoice that the demons obey you. Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Stop seeking miracles and start seeking me and miracles will come. Don't chase the maker. Don't chase the miracle. Chase the maker. Chase the God of the miracle and miracles will exude from him. There are many today flocking to service for miracles, but I want you to know something. This is what I wanted you to know. That after all that, after Jesus had said some things that would seem atrocious to, to the normal reader, he looks at the rest of his disciples and he says this. Huh, do y'all want to go too? And Peter gives the answer that all of us should be able to give. Where else will we go? Yeah, God, what you said to me is hard to understand. And it's hard to accept. But I believe you are who you say you are. So where else am I going to go? Yeah, I don't. What you said to me sounds weird. I don't really like it. But I trust you. Hmm. Jesus says in John 8, 31, 32, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. You got to abide in his word. You got to get into a good Bible-based teaching church. You know why? Because it's going to tell you stuff that doesn't make you feel good. You know how you're growing in Christ and how you're in a Bible-based church. When you sit in your seat, you're a little bit uncomfortable. Because the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I said it again, the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. For those who are hurting and in pain, we preach Christ and his compassion and his love and his mercy. But for those who have become in ease and in Zion, we are required to say woe to those that are at ease and Zion. I'm glad when the conviction of the Holy Spirit gets to me. So how do I stay committed, Pastor? One thing, simple. Everybody say, eliminate plan B. <laughs> Pull up that next power principle. Should say, as long as Christ. Keep going. They may have missed one. I'll read it out. We're about done. It says this. As long as Christ is an option and not the only we will never completely trust him with the details of our life. Amen. I say that again. As long as Christ is an option 
and not the only, we will never completely trust him with the details of our life. There are many people that, that are upset because their kids didn't come, don't come to church anymore. It's because when you were young, church was an option. They got to choose whether or not they came. So since it was an option, they, they took their option to not come. Now your generation will see it. Now my kids, if their kids don't go to church, that's on them. Because they know they're going to be in church just like I was. And I tell them, it's not because I'm the pastor. Before I was a pastor, every Sunday we were in church. Why? Because I was in church. And that's how I was raised. And that's how I raised them. And hopefully that's how they raised their children. And their children's children. Why? Because I'm teaching them to be committed to Christ. Even through your imperfections, you need to be committed. Peter is saying something important here. The reason most people don't give their all into endeavors is because they have a fail safe and an option if things don't work out. In our culture today, some people call those side chicks. People don't commit to relationships anymore. I'd be halfway committed to you so you give me part of what I want. But whatever you don't give me, I'll get it on the side. We do that spiritually, too. I'm going to go over here because I get the music. I go over here on Bible study to get the word. <laughs> I go over here because they got a program for my kids here and things like that. And we try to piece together what we want instead of staying somewhere and be committed. And we lose the best of all of it because we keep running around with things. But you got to learn to burn the ships. I'm reminded of a story. And this is the true story of a, of a general. He came to a coastline and we, he came to the coastline to conquer that land. He gave an insane order. You know what the, the order was? Sister Worf. Yep. He said, burn every ship we came over here on. He got over to the coast of the place they were supposed to conquer, and he burned every last ship he had and told them, you have two choices, conquer or die. You don't have another option. And in real life, you really still don't. It's Jesus or what? You got to learn to burn the ship. No man can serve to what? You got to learn to burn the ship. Why am I having trouble growing in Christ? Could it be because I haven't burned the ship? I want Jesus, but I'm still holding on to bad friends. I want Jesus, but I'm still holding on to bad habits. I want Jesus, but I'm still holding on to bad mindsets and attitudes. I haven't completely trusted him with everything. And in doing so, I am robbing myself of true victory. Who Jesus? Peter is saying, Lord, what you're saying is hard to accept, but I'm going to stick with you because I know your word is true and I might not understand it nor like it, but I know it's true and it's wrapped up in your word. And I am not going to leave myself an escape route, an escape clause. I am not going to come to God with a prenup. I'm going to come to him with everything I have. So when the pastor preaches something hard, I don't say I'm not coming back next week. I say, well, God, get ready for round two. Because I'm not committed to him. I'm committed to. Amen. Now, let's see what Peter gets for this as we get ready to go. Pull up Revelations chapter 21, verse 14. Peter decides that he's going to follow God, even though it seems too hard to bear. In the word Revelations 21, 14, what does it say? Let's read it. What does it say? Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them there were names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know what that city is called? That's heaven, the New Jerusalem. Because Peter decided to say, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I'm committed to you forever. The new Jerusalem will stand and on the foundation, the city has 12 foundations. And on one of those foundations is written the name over and over. And you know what it says? Peter. 
Because he chose to commit his life to Christ, his name is immortalized for eternity. Whatever you do in this life has eternal consequence. You can come on, Karen. I know this wasn't an exciting sermon. That's why I'm glad God moved at the first part of the sermon. But I want you to know something. God wants to bless you with something, but it's on the other side of your commitment. What are you willing to give to give to gain? Don't give it just to get it. But go all in. Commit to him totally. Give him all of you. Not just the parts you show the church people. Give him the parts that you have from everybody, even your spouse. Give it all to him. Because he wants it. And he can handle it. There's nothing in you that's too dirty or too nasty that God can't handle. Bring it to him and give it to him. The Bible says, catch your burdens on the Lord. For he cares for you. There's nothing too dirty. There's nothing too ugly. There's nothing too nasty in your past, your present, or your future that God can't handle. He loves you. You are only hurting yourself by not committing to him fully. It is time for you to burn the ships. And you can't burn the ships until you come to the equation and come to the thought that he's all I need. There's a saying, come on, Brother Day, that says, if I had everything and I lost everything and didn't have anything but still had Jesus, I would still have everything. If I lost everything and didn't have anything but still had Jesus, Amen. I still have everything. Yes. Will you commit to him today? As Brother Dave comes, we're going to open up for a prayer. I know we've already had the altar service. If you're watching online, today's your day to commit to Jesus. Thank you for watching online. Thank you all for coming to the building. And I, my prayer is for you that I want you to have all the blessings of God. But salvation is free. Everything else costs. If a man would follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. Don't you want what he has for you? Don't you want his best? Don't you want all the blessings of joy and peace and happiness that grace gives? The altar is open. He's waiting just for you. Clap your hands and give God praise.